We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. All right, Ross, mi amigo, our first inaugural episode of Lion Legacy. So, Jared, you came to me not all that long ago, and you had this idea where Penn Staters, they're featured in the Alumni Magazine, they're featured in other forums, but there wasn't necessarily a podcast where we can highlight and promote their great working in their careers, in their lives, and really kind of the, the excellent mark that they're making in the world. Yeah, I would say it was a little bit of uh, COVID and sitting on a couch and staring at my TV and my ceiling one day. And then just also the fascinating stories that we do get to read or hear about through friends and saying, hey, there's something here about taking this to a, a larger audience and showcasing some great work and some great people. Absolutely. And we're really trying to cast a broad a broad net. Uh, we're trying to highlight alumni, both recent alumni, older alumni, people in all different fields. It's not just sports related. We're really trying to highlight those out there that might not otherwise have the, the spotlight on them and really give them a, a chance to tell everyone what they're all about. Exactly. Exactly. However, I did pick a good friend of mine for the first episode Absolutely. who actually does in sports, Doug Bennett. And that's okay. And Doug came on and told us his story, how he got into the field, how he worked his way up, some great stories from the, this year, which is quite interesting year given COVID and how the NHL shut down, how it started back up. So we really think that for any sports fan, it'll be a, a great behind the scenes view to, to what Doug encountered over this past year. All right, Doug Bennett, a.k.a. Dougie Fresh, Penn State graduating class of 2004 and head athletic trainer of the National Hockey League's Carolina Hurricanes. Doug, first episode of Lion Legacy. So if it's a flop, we know who to point to right here. No, no <laughs> pressure, only, my friend. You can only go up from here. So it sets the standard easy for me. <laughs> Well, great. Great to have you on board. Uh, Ross, you know, before we get into this first question, I have a little bit of a story to tell about Doug. Doug and I had a lot of classes over the years, but we actually never went to a Penn State football game together. But it just so happens that I knew every single game where Doug was sitting among 107,000 fans, right? Doug is the only one that was standing up during halftime. You remember this, Doug? Oh, of course. Yeah, it was probably about sophomore year when I, I started standing the entire game because I made the mistake of leaving the uh, the Iowa game early one year and Penn State mounted a comeback. And I think they still ended up losing, but um, they were down like three touchdowns late and it was just sloppy and Zach Mills came in and led them in we're literally walking down Curtin Road, and they started to they started to come. And you'd hear the stadium roaring, and we were running to to you know get someplace and uh, to see it on TV. And I was just like, I'm never, I'm standing up the rest. I got to be a better fan than this. It was your your, your self imposed punishment. Yeah, my self imposed punishment. I got to be and, a better fan than that. 
And Doug's like six two, six three, right? So yeah. you know, he's standing up, everyone else is sitting down, they've had a long, you know, long Friday night in the student section, and I'd always yell, Doug, down in front, sit down. And he'd always yeah. turn around. I remember huge grin on his face and then, you know, smile at me and continue cheering on the blue bands with that pom pom going. Yep. Yep. I uh I could always Jared always found me sometime during halftime and and called me out. And then he made a whole bunch of other students feel awkward because they didn't know if me and him knew each other or if he was just some angry guy that I was standing up or or whatnot. So it, it, it always made for an interesting halftime. Sounds about right. Well, cool. Thanks, Doug. Uh, we really appreciate you being on with us here. First question that you know I think I'm interested in, and everybody will be interested in. You know, take we're going back to March, right? And I think everyone kind of pinpoints that you know March 11th, 12th, those couple of days when the world seemed to shut down. And you know, it was a Tom Hanks test positive? The NBA shuts down, NHL right behind it, maybe a day later. So, kind of from your perspective, insider's perspective, like. It just take us through those couple of days, right, where you really have no idea which end is up and where you're going to be. Kind of just give us a little bit of commentary there. Yeah, so we were actually in the middle of a of about a seven or eight day road trip. We had just been in Philly, then we went to New York. We were in Long Island, Pittsburgh, and you know there wasn't much of a vibe with the virus. Like you're reading it, you know, in the news and seeing it on the news and. And you were like, well, it's coming, but what's, what's going to go on? And, and then we uh, were in Detroit and we left, we, we played Detroit. We left to go to New Jersey and it was that day was that Wednesday, which would have been the 12th or whatever that was. We practiced. And then afterward, I remember giving a, a talk on the bus of, you know, we're in you know New Jersey. We're like, don't go into the city because, you know, it's apparently all over New York city at this point. And take hand sanitizer and you know we had already ordered some equipment for our arena back home that would would sterilize and sanitize our room and we had already ordered a ton of hand sanitizer and stuff like that and so we're passing it out and there was just it was just odd and then I remember that night we were me and a couple of our our traveling party the our PR guy and and our strength coach we were just kind of sitting down at a bar and and having some dinner and you know, the ACC tournament was going on and there's no fans there. And, uh, you know, it was just crazy. And, you know, the next day we woke up and we were in New Jersey and we we're trying to fly home because our game had gotten canceled. And it was just, yeah, I, I think like everybody. And I mean, I didn't have any answers. I got a ton of questions about the virus and what should I do? And I didn't really have any great answers, you know, and I was leaning on our docks and, you know, I'm just saying, hey, quarantine, you know, if you feel sick, stay away from people. If you have at-risk parents and, and grandparents and things like that, like, stay away and wait for more information. That's kind of how the next two weeks went. Sure. It's got to be, you know, certainly an interesting situation for you guys because you just didn't know how long you were going to be home for. Obviously, ended up being until, what, until the summertime, yeah. right? I mean, we're talking about a solid three, four months where you got, you know, how did you end up kind of working with the team? You know, you're used to seeing these guys every single day. Um, how do you make sure that they're staying in shape and doing what they need to be doing while you're not physically there with them? Yeah. So the first couple of days were tough, but then as it panned out, probably by the next week, it was pretty obvious that 
this wasn't going to be like a, we're home for 10 days or two weeks and then we're going right back at it. So it was from an injury standpoint, it was easy and hard in the fact that um, it was easy from the standpoint of time heals everything. So we knew we had time on our side. So guys were going to get healthy. It was hard in managing their care because a lot of the players had gone home and places that they, you know, would normally go to train or to, to receive therapy, those types of things weren't open. So we were uh, doing some virtual calls and stuff with me, making sure that everybody had what they needed. I know our strength coach was shipping some equipment to guys that they could use for, you know, to stay in shape and use for strength training. And it obviously is very limited at that point as, as much of the resources in the, you know, the world were limited at that point. And then as, as April and May started to, you know, as the calendar started to change, it started to be a little more obvious that we were at least going to try to get this thing up and going in a bubble or, or something. And the NHL did a good job then of, of sending out our protocols and stuff for you know, how we could safely open our facilities and who we could have in the facilities and you know, how we had to test and how we had to sanitize and all those types of things. So at that point, we were really just running off of their guidance and opening the facility as safely as we could. So now when you, you finally go to the bubble, I want to actually go back to when you actually had to say goodbye to, to your wife, Shelly, and your two kids under five. You're going into a circumstance. You have no clue if you're going for a few weeks or like three months, right? And you're normally doing a you know a road trip, what, max five, seven days. You know What was that like to say goodbye to your family and, and have no clue? Yeah, uh, you know our our longest road trip during the season, about ten days, sometimes two weeks. But again, you there's an end to it. You know, hey, I'll I'll be back on this day. That one was it was just odd in that, like, especially chasing something that is like your dream, right? To be chasing the Stanley Cup and something that you want so badly for your team and and yourself and your family. You know, my daughter would say to me are you bringing the Stanley cup home tomorrow, daddy? Like, no, <laughs> we still got a few more rounds to make it here. You know, when we finally did lose. I mean, she was upset. She's three and a half and she doesn't really comprehend it, but that was the first question she asked me. Are you bringing home the Stanley cup? You know, leaving was definitely tough. I think it was, it was made a little easier in that our team services guys did a phenomenal job. By the time we got to the bubble, um, we walked into the room. There were pictures of our families already in our rooms and things like that. So they did a really good job of, of trying to make you feel like you were at home, even though you were far away from your family at that point. And, and you're in the bubble. Obviously, you've got a job to do. But, you know, how are you spending your time in the bubble? You see kind of the the cameras and the videos, games. Seems like it's a you know, relatively camp-like atmosphere outside of the games. But, you know, for your position specifically, how are you spending that downtime? Yeah, we were we were very busy in the bubble. There wasn't a ton of downtime because we were playing on like the regular, regular season of playoffs. You have at least a day, sometimes two in between playoff games and stuff like that. We were playing in back-to-back games. So we were busy and, and obviously everything's ramped up in the playoffs and, and stuff. So we, we were very busy. That being said, the NHL gave us some some opportunities. BMO Field in in Toronto was a part of our bubble, so we were that's where the um, MLS team plays. So we we 
um, I called it yard time. That's, that sounds awful, but we'd go out and they had the soccer nets out there. They'd put spike, spike ball and uh, footballs out there. There was frisbees and stuff. So you'd go out and just be outside and kind of feel normal, get some exercise, those types of things. You know, a couple guys brought gaming systems and we'd sit around and play Jackbox TV and cards and those types of things in somebody's room you know, in the evenings and stuff. So it, was, <clears throat> it started to get a little old. I mean, we were only there about th- three weeks, three and a half weeks. The activity started to get a little old. So with, same with the food, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world. So Doug, I think the average person knows a bit about athletic training, but there's a lot more <laughs> to your job than just, uh, you know, taping ankles and taping wrist, uh, wrists. You can tell us a little bit more about what your job as the head trainer truly entails. Yeah, great question, Ross. And a mentor of mine, Rick Burkholder, he's, he's now the head athletic trainer for the Kansas City Chiefs. I interned with Rick when he was with the Eagles, when he was the head athletic trainer there. And he sums it up. I heard him in an interview say something along the lines of, we are running a healthcare facility for the world's elite athletes, and uh, I'm in charge of managing it. And uh, like I said, it, it, there's the grunt of taping ankles and stocking shelves and ordering supplies and those types of things. And there's the, like I said, management of everything from coronavirus now through an ankle sprain and concussions and, and all sorts of things. And you've got a, a subset or a population that you're working with that expects the absolute best and most elite care. And they need it in order to perform at the levels that fans want to see them. So my job is to provide elite medical care from the prevention of, of injuries and illness to to when it actually when they do actually happen to rehabilitate them to educate them and maximize their health and and well-being while on the ice and in life you, you mentioned football there and I know you've you've had a number of stints internships with the Eagles and Seahawks I'm sure Ross would love some Eagle stories since he's a diehard Philadelphia fan. True. And then, of course, also with with our beloved Penn State Nittany Lions as well. How different is it caring for a National Hockey League player versus a pro or collegiate player? Obviously, different games. You probably see more injuries in some sports than others. Also, different body types. I'm curious, like, how much do you have to adapt? I think you answered a lot of your own question there, Jared, um, in that, you know, it's different contact structure. It's different body types. I mean, the NFL players, even the college football players are huge. Our, our, you know, and even our, our players, when they, they meet NFL players, they're, they're like, did you see how big that guy was? Like, yeah, Travis Kelsey was out in Las Vegas. We saw him. It was right after the Super Bowl, him and Patrick Mahomes. And it was just like, they're, he's an enormous human being as for, you know, how you treat it. I mean, part of it is you, you know, you learn the, you learn the trade and then you kind of hone it. And, and as you come up through the ranks and the longer you're in the sport, the more you, the more you see, the more you understand and comprehend what, um, what the demands of the sport are. You know, one of my, in grad school, one of my, um, sport assignments was cross country. You want to talk about a different body type and different injuries. I mean, we're talking overuse, you know, um, 
that the reason this hurts is because you're running 50 miles a week on that. It's, it's different weight class as well. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but then, you know, on the other hand, you know, their knee hurts because they're putting 50 miles on it, but a, but a left tackle, he's only putting, he's only putting a half a mile on it, but he's putting that much weight through that joint. Like their knees might have the same thing going on, but they're hurting for totally different reasons. Doug, did you always know that you wanted to be a trainer or was there a certain point in time when you were in school when you're, you know, that you kind of headed in that direction? Great. And this is a good time to plug Penn State. So when I entered Penn State, I actually entered the Division of Undergraduate Studies, which is basically an undecided major. And part of the requirement for DUS at the time was that I had to meet with an advisor. I think it was every two weeks or three weeks. and Basically, I went through, um, you know, she put me through personality exams and things that I liked and career building kind of things, stuff that figuring out what you like and what your passions are. And I ended up, you know, the more and more I sat through that, you know, and then she tailors your kind of classes to that as you as you schedule classes, you know, well, why don't you try this, see if you like it. And, and if you don't, at least it's going to count for this general education and it's going to keep you moving along. And my, my passion was some kind of healthcare. I wanted to take care of people in some way, shape or form. And my love was athletics. So she pointed me down the athletic training route. And um, there I am in Canice 125 with a young Jared Melzer in a, in a, or was it 195 in a, in a Fila sweatshirt. And, uh, uh, the rest is history. I enjoyed what I was doing and here I am today. Okay. So Doug, let's switch it over for a moment. One of the feel good stories, you know, when Jared and I were prepping, we, you know, he mentioned and reminded us of, of a story, I guess from almost about a year ago, it was late last year, the David Ayers story. And oh, so yeah. we, we, ha- we had to pick your brain on this one. So for the listener that might not know that name, the, the story goes that the Hurricanes were playing the Maple Leafs, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, up in Toronto. And uh, throughout the course of the game, Hurricanes starting goalie goes down with an injury. Backup goalie goes down with an injury. And so I guess the, the rule is that within the NHL that uh, an emergency goalie has to be available for either team every single game. And so... This gentleman, David Ayers, the Zamboni driver, ends up coming into the game. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, it was the wildest game I've ever been a part of in my entire life. That's exactly how it happens. And when the first goalie gets hurt, we let, you know, if they're not able to return, if it's something minor that they can, you know, they're not going to play, but they can sit on the bench and and maybe back up in an emergency. But when they're out, out. You know, we, we let the appropriate people know and they contact this emergency goaltender who is sitting in the stands and he comes down and gets dressed and sits in a completely separate locker room away from us. And it's, it's happened before. It probably happens more regularly than you think, but them getting activated, you know, then the second goalie getting hurt is what the rarity is. And that happened to us. And it was it was, I'll never forget going out on the ice to tend to the second goalie. And, you know, my initial thought when I first spoke to him and I realized that this was something that was going to hold him out as well. I remember just thinking to myself like, oh my goodness, we're actually going to have to put, we're actually going to have to put this guy in. And you never know what you're getting 
I mean, they could be old college goalies. They could be Zamboni drivers. You have no idea what you're getting. And out came David, and the story is will be told by, I don't know, I think he's sold the rights to it, to Disney or to, to somebody here to tell it. It was unbelievably hectic from my standpoint because I was in the back working with, and we had another, a, a regular skater get hurt as well. It was just an absolute monstrosity of injuries for us that night. And I'm in the back just, you know, taping popsicle sticks to guys, <laughs> trying to get them to <clears throat> get out there and, and trying to figure out what, you know, can this guy do anything? Can he, could he be effective if he doesn't skate, if he just plays on his knees? I mean, we, we looked at all sorts of different ways and the team then responded with the best hockey they've ever played. If we could go 82 and 0 and win the Stanley cup in 16 games, if they played that hard every single night, every single period, they played so hard in front of him and they made an unbelievable story, even more unbelievable. The fact that he even got in the game was cool, but the fact that he won the game that we actually were able to hold on and win the game. Our head coach summarized it in the, in the locker room afterward. And he said something along the lines of, you know, when you play this game long enough, you get memories. And tonight you guys just created a memory for this team, for me and for him and for yourselves about what is great about our sport. What was that locker room like? Was it like a big party after you won? Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. In a way it felt like we had just clinched the playoffs or something like that. I mean, we were throwing water bottles around. I mean, we were jumping on each other. I mean, it, it was, and it was a very big game for us. We were in the heat of a playoff battle a month to go. It was late February, so it was right before the virus actually hit. We were in a playoff race with Toronto. So th- those points mean, meant a lot to us, and they meant a lot to them. Um, yeah, like it, it was huge. It felt like, yeah, it felt like clinching a division or something. Did you actually see David? I know you said you were in the back taping <laughs> and trying to get players ready but did you actually see david come onto the ice by chance yeah i was actually i i was right in front of him and i was talking to our head coach and i said hey peter our our goalie i said he's not going to be able to go we're going to have to we're going to have to bring that guy out he's like go let him know like let's go and so i walked back and he was i saw that they had already called him out. Our, our goalie coach was with him and was talking to him. And I kind of came back on the bench and said to our head coach, like, yeah, he's, he's coming. He's walking down the, walking down the tunnel now. Like what was his thing like? Our players were great. The guys that were on the ice immediately went over to him. If you watch the video, it was really cool. They went over, just gave him a big hug, you know, tapped him on the pads, tapped him on the head, said, bud, like, don't worry, just play, have fun. Like, don't worry about a thing. And he let in the first two shots that went in, and they weren't the prettiest of goals. He'll even admit that. But the guys just fought out of it and kept going. I would have literally probably crapped my pants in that moment. In in the third period, my assistant was on the bench the majority of the third period. Because one, the beginning part of it, I was back again talking with our goalie coach, working with one of our goalies that we thought might have – you know, might be able to do something, you know, be somewhat functional and we're watching the games on the TV and we're watching it and the time's going. And, it, you know, it was surreal to watch in that, like, 
we were dominating the game and, and we were the ones getting the sustained pressure. And it was just like, this is going to, this might happen like this. Something's going to have to change or this is going to happen. We're actually going to win with this guy in goal. Such a great That's story. Phenomenal. What a story. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Now I, I do want to piggyback off, off an injury question because when someone does go down on the ice, it's a, it is different than, NFL or MLB in that you actually have to get on the ice and go to that player. Yeah. So uh, what's that like? Is your first reaction when someone goes down on the other end, like, oh, crap, I got to, you know, first get to this person and not take a flop? Yeah, you you eventually get – you work in hockey long enough, you get pretty comfortable on the ice. I've got little spikes on the bottom of my shoes that help me grip into it. <clears throat> The linesman or one of our players is always really good about coming over and uh, <clears throat> help grab my arm, making sure that I'm, <clears throat> if I do bite it, that they're holding me up kind of thing. Um, so you, ha- yeah, you have gone down? I have not. Don't I have not gone down. One time I jumped. <laughs> one time I jumped the boards, right? I couldn't get out the door because of the way the arena was set up. I couldn't really get out the door. I couldn't get around the players. So I just put my feet up on the dasher and I jumped down. And when I landed, my feet slipped and I grabbed onto the dasher real quick and I remember looking at one of the players who was just kind of looked at me like that was close <laughs> and I was like okay <laughs> off we go and then I had my my spikes on and my grip so I was I was all right but at first it was uh oh <clears throat> but I haven't gone down yet knock on wood that, there. that's the trick is the little uh, spikes on your shoes I I had no idea yeah it's a yep. hidden ball trick <laughs> So we're going to transition now to the Lions Den, which, as you can imagine, is all about your time at Penn State. All right. So, Doug, first question. You've had such an impressive career already. Uh, how do you feel that Penn State has prepared you for your career and your professional life? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is the network. You find Penn Staters everywhere. When I was there, Jay Hurdle was there. Jay Hurdle has since moved on to University of Virginia, but you know, he had a great, con- he had some great contacts throughout the NFL and stuff like that. When we talked earlier, Jared mentioned my internship with the Seahawks. Paul Federici at the time was a Penn State alum, and he always liked to bring a Penn State, um, <clears throat> Penn State student out for training camp. And that's really what I think springboarded my work with elite athletes is being around the Seahawks and stuff. So I think that Penn State network is, is invaluable. <clears throat> And when you look back to Penn State, what, what's that favorite class that you've had? That's a tough question. I really liked <clears throat> I really liked a psych class that I had. There was a psych, I think it was 431 maybe, 429, something like that. That was really good. I did like Kinesis 202 with Dr. Sharkey, his anatomy class. That was the first time we started to be around like dissected bodies and stuff like that. So I started to enjoy that. And uh, you know, the in, in athletic training at Penn State, you know our our practicums they're two ninety five f three ninety five f four ninety five f. We get to work with our our the Penn State athletic department, and those are really valuable experiences working with Penn State football and women's lacrosse and things like that. So working with the teams is what I do now. So it was cool to do that while I was All in right, school. No, I, I just I I just one other thing, Ross, on that. I just remember this eight o'clock <clears throat> class that Doug and I used to have. And it was a winter time. Doug's wearing a, a beanie. And I'm sitting right next to him. And he's has one hand on his face, kind of leaning. And then he's got a pencil that amazingly 
looks like he's writing. <laughs> but I look down at the paper, and we're about 45 minutes in, and there's nothing on the paper. <laughs> Doug is, is taking a snooze in the class, but it looks like he's taking the most copious notes out there. You know, I wasn't – I did – I made every class. I Attendance was one of That's my true. strong suits in college. I can't say that I was always awake through all of my classes at Penn State. I I wasn't a morning person back then, so the morning classes were a little more challenging. I remember I mentioned Jay Hurdle. I remember walking into one of his classes, and there was only athletic training is a very small major. There's only eight or nine of us, and I walked in. It was the day after St. Patrick's Day, and I had unfortunately made the cover of the Daily Collegian, and I didn't know that. <clears throat> And I uh, walked into class right at 9.45, right on time. And Jay gave me a, a uh, the slow clap and everybody was excited. I, attendance isn't my <laughs> issue. I'm not sure I'm going to be awake here this whole time, but I'm here and I'm At least you have that going for, for you, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, I did well in school, so I you know, props were never worried about my, my academic standing. So that was made it easier to doze off for a couple minutes. And then Doug, another, another tough one for you. So non-class related, what was your favorite Penn State memory outside of the classroom? I would hope that a lot of people answer the football team, but as you know, the football team was terrible mm-hmm. the four years we were there with the lone exception being Larry Johnson's 2000 yard season. I mean, I had great times still going to the games and, and tailgating. Yeah. You know, I think it's the relationships you make, you know, my, my friends, we had a really good dorm my freshman year that I still keep in touch with my roommate that I was randomly assigned to the two guys that live next door. I still keep in touch with, um, it was just a good bunch of guys and the relationships that you meet hanging out and doing what college kids do. And, you know, if you could look back to that freshman year, so about 20 years ago, what advice would you give 18 year old Doug Bennett? I would tell 18 year old Doug Bennett to, um, you know, just continue to believe in yourself and have fun and and take your studies and, and your your academic work seriously, but enjoy everything else that comes, you know, with the college experience, whatever that is. You know, the, the culture, the the four years of getting to know a kid from from Queens, right? <clears throat> like I didn't know anybody from Queens before I went to to Penn State and all that kind of stuff. So Build great relationships, make great friends, and and keep in touch with people. Absolutely. And then along the same uh, lines of giving advice, if you were to come across somebody, uh, maybe as part of a networking event or what have you, some you know high school student that was interested in or considering Penn State, what what advice would you give to them? Why would you uh, try to convince them that Penn State is the right choice for them? I think it just offers so much. I, I'm a big school. I'm a I'm a big fan of the big school you know it it worked for me I remember my mom telling me something you know after I accepted my letter to go to Penn State saying something like I was you were kind of an introvert and I was I was a little worried about you going to a big school but I I think you're gonna I think you're gonna do just fine and as I kind of look back and reflect on that you know I think it helped break me out of my shell a little bit and it just gives you so many opportunities to fit into so many different opportunities from schooling and academics to clubs and, and research. And I, I went and got my master's at UNC Chapel Hill, another big school. I'm just a, I'm a big school kind of guy. So I think that there, it just provides so many resources and the network that, that Penn state offers you is second to none. 
And speaking of big school, when were you last at Penn State back on campus? Do you even remember? I was last on Penn State's campus in 2009, I think. It's been a yeah. long wow. time. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I, I obviously, after graduation and after my master's, I went and worked the football, with the football program in the 07 08 season. And then I would have returned, I believe, that fall for a game, maybe the next year, the next fall as well, I returned for a game. And that's it. And I was shocked even in 2009 how much it had changed from 2004 when we graduated. I can only imagine what it looks like now. Crazy. We got to get you back in 2021. Yeah. I um, Of all the years, right, there wasn't hockey this fall. It would have been a great year for me to to head up and, and see the university. But obviously, it's, the reason there's no hockey is the reason that we're not going to state college either, sure. right? And then, uh, Doug, you know, obviously piggybacking off the fact that you haven't been at, at the university in about 10 years, how do you stay connected to the university? How do you feel connected to the university today? I, I think probably more than any way is, is through my, my friends and colleagues that I, that I met there uh, with Jared and a couple of my other buddies that, that are, you know, in related fields. Will Rogers is one of the assistant athletic trainers with the Chicago Bears right now. Hey, one one other thing, Doug, just want to thank you for being our first guest. You've set the bar high and certainly wish you a lot of success in the future. And uh, to close it off, we are. Penn State. Thanks, Doug. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Really enjoyed it and, and looking forward to uh, looking forward to the work you guys continue to do here on uh, Lion, Lion Legacy. Lion Legacy is a Baruda production. If you enjoyed this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.